turn to chapter 18, that would be great. Uh, you want to keep your Bibles very limber because we're going to look at several other scriptures. So maybe like, maybe put your finger back in Matthew 14 while you turn to John 18, or maybe you guys have a ribbon in your Bible that you've always wondered what it's for. Put that like in Matthew 14, and then you could be in John 18, okay? Something like that. Because we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures today, so keep your Bibles locked and loaded. Um, I want to tell you up front, I intended to uh, preach this as one message, but as I got into it, I just felt like it would be way too long on a fellowship dinner Sunday, because that would just mean you guys stopped listening partway through. So I'm going to actually cut this message in half, um, and because of that, I'm going to leave you without a clear resolution. So that means you're going to have to come back next time to hear the conclusion of it, because otherwise you end up hanging over a cliff without any hope. All right, so you need to come back to hear the rest of this, all right? Um, a few weeks ago, you guys might remember, I talked to you about success, and I defined success as fruitfulness. Today, I want to talk to you about failure, how to fail. Uh, and when I talk about how to fail, um, Maybe the best example, how, how many of you have ever gone skiing? How many of you have ever taken skiing lessons? Any of you? Okay. I've never done it, but what I understand, I've never even, I think maybe when I was a kid, I shouldn't say I never have, but I think when I was a kid I maybe tried on a pair of skis or something. But I have friends who are avid skiers, and they tell me that the very first thing your ski instructor shows you is how to fall. So one of the things I want to talk to you this morning is how to fail, but to quote John Maxwell, I want to talk to you about how to fail forward, how to actually use failure as a stepping stone in your life to move forward. So uh, we're in John 18, if you would follow along, picking up in verse 1. By the way, am I sounding okay? I have that weird ear thing again where everything is echoing in my ears so I can't hear what I am. I'm hearing myself like three times, which is bad enough. Um, so if it gets too bad, just go talk to Nick and he'll fix it, all right? Uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now. Although I can't take a lot of time talking about this, but let me just reference, look in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles open, look at the word he. Is the word he italicized in your Bible? What that means when your Bible has an italicized word is that the editors have added a word for readability, for easier flow, but that in the original language, that italicized word was not there. So that Jesus actually responded and said, I am. And you need to understand that the Jews of that day clearly had the perspective that the I am was the name of God. 
It goes way back to the days of Moses. When Moses was in the wilderness and he saw the burning bush, God comes and he meets with him. He's going to send them back to deliver the people from out of slavery. And Moses said, but God, what if they won't believe me? Whom shall I say sent me? And God's response was, tell them, I am sent you. And when he said I am, he meant I am all that I need to be in and of myself, and no name can fully capture who I am. I am. Not I was. Not even I will be. I just am. So that when Jesus said the words I am, the Jews understood exactly what He meant. He was laying claim to deity. Not just divinity. You understand there's a difference between divinity and deity. Divinity means you are God-like. Deity means you are God. Jesus was laying claim to being God Himself. And remember, at the very, very beginning, when I first introduced the book of John, that goes back a few weeks now, when I first introduced it, I told you that John's Gospel is called the I Am Gospel. Because all throughout John's Gospel, he uses that phrase. He says in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8 and 9, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, I am the door. In chapter 10 again, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in chapter 15, I am the true vine. All throughout God's, John's Gospel, Jesus proclaims, I am. Saying, I am God. So let's look at that verse again. Verse 5. They answered him when he said, whom are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Because when he proclaimed his deity, there was such anointing, such power in his words, they could not stand before the true God. And they fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, saying, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, we're just seeking a man. We're not seeking God. We're seeking a man. Jesus answered, I have told you, I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go away, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Now, as we come to verse 10, we see something that I want us to look at in our study today, which actually uh, Pastor Jonathan referenced in his word up front as an exhortation, not knowing what I was going to be speaking on. But I want us to look at something that we see all throughout the Gospels. If any one of the disciples is going to step in it, if any one of the disciples is going to do something wrong, if any one of the disciples is going to say something stupid, who do you think it would be? Not, not John. Not James. Not Thomas or Philip. Who's it going to be again? Peter. Peter has a gift. Uh, I can remember years ago when Brother Spencer used to get up in the middle of somebody preaching, and he would say, I'm exercising my gift. I have the gift of interruption. Peter has a gift. 
and you might not like this term, and I'm glad the kids are out because I don't want to say it in front of the kids, but Peter has a gift. His gift is the gift of stupidity. If anybody's going to do something stupid, it's Peter. So look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword. It's like, what were they thinking, giving him a sword? It's like parents giving their kids something. You know, it's like grandparents giving their grandkids drum sets. What are you thinking? Then Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Now, I know that we tend to read these passages in the Bible through spiritually sanitized eyes. But i got to tell you, this is a gross scene. Peter takes his sword he cuts off the guy's ear. It's blood all over the place. A piece of ear is laying on the ground. If this were on TV, it would be rated R for violence. This is a gross scene. You have to ask yourself, why did Peter do it? Why did Peter cut off the guy's ear? And I want to suggest it's because Melchus ducked. Because Peter wasn't going for his ear. He was going for the whole head. And fortunately, Melchus ducked just in time. Or I guess, depending upon your perspective, maybe a little too late because he lost an ear over it. But this is a bloody scene. And if you went into Luke 22, we're not going to take the time today, but in Luke 22, the Scripture says, Jesus leaned over and He picked up the ear. He's holding up this dripping, bloody, shredded ear. And he says this, permit me this. I love that. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I know you're going to take me and you're going to beat me. You're going to hang me on a cross and you're going to kill me. But will you let me show the kindness of the Father just one more time? And it says he took the ear and he reattached it to Malchus's head. I don't know about you. But if I were one of those soldiers, I would have been impressed with that. I mean, here's a guy you're coming to arrest and even kill, and he's still attaching ears to head. I like that scene. Church tradition says that Malchus became a believer. I wonder why. If Jesus reattached your ear, Maybe you'd become a believer too. So, jump down to verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus. This is after his arrest. He's taken away. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. And every time it says another disciple or something like that in the Gospel of John, I've already told you it's referring to John himself. It's almost like he doesn't want to give himself a name. Because the only one he wants to highlight in the whole gospel is Jesus. So another disciple followed. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood out at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door. So they had a woman who was keeping the door of the courtyard. And he brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of his, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. 
Then the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Verse 26. I love this verse. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. So, this is a guy who knows what's going on. Said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Like, you're caught red-handed, Peter. The guy saw you cut his cousin's ear off. That's a face you remember, by the way. Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Peter blew it. He failed. And this morning, I want to talk about how we need to deal with failure in our own lives. And I want to use the life of Peter to look at failure for us. And can I just ask you up front, just just please hear me. Give Peter a break. Show a little bit of mercy. Because the truth is, we all have a lot of Peter in us. So, in the same way that we want to receive mercy, can you give Peter mercy? Because I don't want to stand in heaven and have Peter say, why would you preach that sermon about me and have people think so badly of me? No, we, we looked at your life, Peter, but we wanted to give you the same mercy that we want for ourselves. So, I want to look at failure, how to fail forward. Number one, first of all, I want you to see all of us blow it. Have you ever found yourself opening your mouth and inserting your foot in it? Have you ever said something that you wished immediately you could take back? Maybe you were having a discussion with your wife and you thought you would be honest for the first time and you said something and the second it came out of your mouth you knew it was stupid? I don't know why I use that example, but you know. Um, I want to suggest to you that even Christians struggle with their mouths sometimes. Even Christians lie sometimes. Yes, even Christians lie. So how do I look? Does this thing make me look fat? What's the right answer, guys? No! We, we lie sometimes well-meaning, but it's still a lie. Even Christians lie sometimes and we say the wrong things. Even Christians sometimes have what I call diarrhea of the mouth. We talk too much and we say too much that we shouldn't say too often. Sometimes it's not like outright sin or lies. Sometimes it's just insensitivity. Um, Karen and I were at a funeral uh, not so very long ago of a young boy Kale Nicolosi, some of you would remember the name. Uh, his uncle, Greg Mullen, was performing the funeral, and Karen and I came to the funeral. We were standing there, and Greg saw us, and he came. To, I mean, Greg's a longtime friend, so he came up to talk to me, and he knew that I had been sick for a while. So he said to me, How are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? Even though I'm at the funeral of an eight year old boy, without thinking my response to his question how are you feeling today was well at least i'm alive 
I didn't think one thing about where I was or what I was doing. I was just, I was making a joke like I'm alive, I'm standing. But at the funeral of a little boy, sometimes we just say the dumbest things and we stick our foot in it. In my case, it's a size 14 Chris Lanneville shoe. And I find it doesn't fit well, but it fits. On another occasion that Pastor Jonathan referred to, after Jesus had spoken of his impending death and said, all of you are going to run away. All of you will be disloyal to me tonight. Peter said, not me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And we just read how that very night, Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. In fact, in one of the other versions, or one of the other Gospels, it doesn't just say he denied him. It says that Peter swore or he cursed in his denial. Let me ask you, have you ever made a commitment to the Lord and then broken it? Have you ever, in a moment of time, the service is just poignant with the presence of God, and you stand before God and you make a commitment to God, and then you break it? Maybe it was even during this Lenten season, or maybe it was a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's one of you ladies. And you made a New Year's resolution that said, I'm going to go to the YMCA three times a week this year. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to lose some weight, and I'm going to get healthy. And wouldn't you know it that at the very first Ladies Connection, Sister Alyssa, makes a three-layer cake covered with buttercream frosting. And in between every layer was this buttercream raspberry filling. And you wouldn't want to offend her by not eating three pieces. We all make commitments to the Lord that we don't keep, just like Peter did. We all blow it. Turn over to Matthew 14. I told you to keep your finger there, Matthew 14. And we'll begin in uh, verse 25. Matthew 14, 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Well, wouldn't you be? Saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. In other words, it's okay. It is I. Would you say those words? It is I. Say it again. It is I. Look at the next verse, verse 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you. What did, what did Jesus just say again? It is I. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, have it your way, Peter. Wasn't going to do it, but come on. Join the fun. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I, I wish I could see that. Don't you? I want to know did the water become flat like an ice rink that he walked on? Did the water become solid? 
or did Peter go up and down with the waves as he walked? I wonder what it looked like. But Peter, it says, walked on the water to Jesus. But, verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Please hear me. One of the things you find with a lot of fishermen, especially back in the old days, is they had such a fear of the water that they never even bothered to learn how to swim. Because they figured, if I go over, I'm out in the ocean. I'm out in the sea far enough that I can't swim long enough to save myself. I might as well just drown quickly. And there are still old fishermen today up in Maine who still have that same belief. What's the point? You're going to dry anyways. Die quicker. Peter, seeing he's sinking, says, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. And I believe, by the way, this is a miracle. I believe Jesus literally made his arm stretch out to Peter. Because if Peter was so close to Jesus that Jesus could just reach down and get him, Peter would have grabbed hold of Jesus. But instead, it said Jesus had to stretch out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I know you've heard this story umpteen million times. And it's easy just to kind of zone out and just read them as words. But think about the scene here. Here is Peter, back in the boat, surrounded by the other 11 disciples, and he is the only one in the boat that's wet. Water is dripping off of him. He stepped out in faith, and he failed. He began to sink. He gets back in the boat. And what does Jesus say to him? Why do you have such little faith? How do you think Peter felt sitting in the boat surrounded by the other 11 disciples who are all nodding their head at him? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Big shot. You think you can get out there and do it? Look at you now. You're as wet as a duck. Duck gets wet. What do you think Peter was feeling? What do you think Peter was thinking? I would suggest that he's no different than you and I. He was having an inner conversation. Conversation went something like this. Fine. You never see me try that again. I'll just sit over here in the back of the boat. You guys think it's so easy? You get out and do it next time. And don't you dare think you'll ever hear me say another word because that's what got me in trouble in the first place. I'm just going to sit over here and I'll mind my own business. Turn to Matthew 15. The very next chapter. Jesus had just told them a parable. Look at verse 15 of chapter 15. Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Don't you get it, Peter? What do you think the other disciples are doing? Because I guarantee you they had the same question. But it's like the commercial. When you want somebody else to do it, you say, let Mikey do it. Well, in this case, it's always let Peter do it. But they're standing in the back as Jesus tells his parable. Peter steps up and says, what's his parable mean? And Jesus said, don't you get it yet? I've told you how many things. Can't you understand it? And the other disciples are there. Yep, not us, Lord. We understood every word you said. We had this down. I don't know what's wrong with Peter, but we've got it. 
And again, Peter says, that's it. No more. Keep my mouth shut from now on. How many of you ever said, I'm going to keep my mouth shut? You'll never hear another word out of me. That's Peter. Chapter 16 of Matthew. Keep moving along. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, who was he talking to here? His disciples. So they said, the disciples, I would suggest to you, they said, didn't include Peter. Because Peter's in the back hiding. He's already said, not going to hear another word out of me. Jesus asked the question. We had a guy at Elam who uh, was one of the more well-known preachers at Elam. His name was Winston Nunes. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. He was a pastor of a church up in Toronto. But he had an amazing style. He would preach, and in the middle of his message, he would ask staccato, fast questions. And he wanted you to answer. And you got to a point where you knew every answer you ever gave would be wrong. So you learned not to answer. That's Peter. He has now learned not to answer. So they, the other 11 disciples said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, being Peter, can't help himself. He can't keep his mouth shut for very long. He steps forward and he speaks up and he said, by the way, uh, for those of you that care, the word Simon, the name Simon means reed-like. And it has the connotation of a reed that is in a marsh that is blown by the wind. In other words, they came to interpret it as meaning unstable. So Simon Peter steps up He answers and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. By the way, the word bar just means son of, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. The word Peter means rock or immovable or stable. You are Peter, and on this rock, and when he talks about on this rock, he's not specifically referring to Peter, but the inspiration, the revelation that Peter had just given. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Son of Jonah. Now, if you're Peter and you've been on a losing streak lately, how do you think you might be feeling right now? I, I suspect if Peter's like us normally, I think Peter pulled his pants up a little bit and says, Yep, I'm the man. Jesus, you need any other words of revelation or inspiration, you know where to come. I- I've got this mouth thing under control. My tongue, my tongue is the word of a ready writer. My tongue is the oracle of God. God, duh. You know, get the duh on there. I got this thing down. Jesus, you need any help? I'm your man. Now, we laugh about that, but how many of you have ever had somebody compliment you in front of other people? 
say something really nice, even something maybe even a little beyond what you think about yourself deep in your heart. You know, they go on and on. And they're, they're, I, I was in China, and I had just gotten through speaking. <coughs> Excuse me. And Joe Jansen, who is one of the better preachers I know, he's one of my favorite preachers, uh, Joe Jansen was getting up to speak after me. So when I got done, I said, kind of kiddingly, but not so kiddingly, I said, well, I'm done now. Joe's going to speak. Cause they wanted us to speak for an hour and a half between us. An hour and a half. They wanted a church service. They wanted a preaching for an hour and a half. So we split it up between us. And when I got done, I said, uh, now you're going to actually get to hear a real preacher. Now you're going to hear my friend, Joe Jansen, who's going to fix everything that I have said wrong here. Joe got up and he went on for probably five minutes talking about me. And the whole time, I do what you do. I tried to keep my face straight. I tried hard not to smile. Because inside you're feeling like, yeah, he thinks I'm cool. <laughs> he, thinks I'm, he, he thinks I'm okay. He thinks I'm actually a good preacher. He said, he said something like, listen, of all the preachers I like to hear, I like to hear this guy. I've heard him preach so many times, and every time I'm thinking, where do you get this stuff? And inside I'm going, he finally sees me for who I really am. <laughs> Outside, my face is, yeah, yeah. No, no. Stop, 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 stop. You do the same thing. Well, thank you. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know what it's like when in front of people, someone recognizes you and talks well about you. There's something in you that rises up and you're, you're trying to receive it humbly, but there's something in you that kind of puffs up a little bit, gets a little bit of pride, and there's a little bit in you that's saying, well, yeah, you don't, you don't need to say that even though it is the truth. You know, it's okay. You don't have to go on anymore. In fact, you say something like this, well, to God be the glory. Inside, you're really saying, glory be to me. But outside, you're saying, glory to God. Well, I suspect that Peter had a little bit of pride entering here. I mean, Jesus is saying, blessed are you. Flesh and blood is... In fact, can I suggest to you a rewriting of that verse? When Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, I think what he's really saying is, oh my God, it's a miracle. Peter got it right. This is not normal for Peter. This had to come from somewhere else. This leads to my second point, number two. All of us blow it big time. Two verses later, same chapter, just look two verses later. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can I say, you have got to be feeling pretty full of yourself to feel like you're in a place to take the God of the whole universe to task for anything. 
You have got to be feeling pretty good about yourself to feel like you're in a place to rebuke Jesus. But Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, that, I'm not sure. But I suspect that might have bruised Peter's poor ego just a little bit. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, if you were Peter, how would you feel after this? The disciples are all gathered. Jesus asks them who they think he is. Peter gives this amazing revelatory answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends him. And then Jesus starts to tell them about things that would happen in the future. He begins to speak to them prophetically about what was about to happen so that when it happened, they wouldn't be surprised or afraid. He talks about the fact that he's going to be uh, suffering for it. All throughout his life, he would say again and again, my hour is not yet. In other words, when he would heal somebody, he would say, go and tell no one. Keep it private. Because he knew that the more word spread, the sooner it would hasten the end for him. But now, he's going to Jerusalem and he says, this is going to be the end. This is my hour. I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to actually be nailed to a cross and I'm going to die. He adds, by the way, I'll be raised the third day. But I suspect that just like you, they didn't hear that at all. Because when somebody gives you bad news, even though they link it up with a little bit of good news, you're too busy thinking back on the bad news. It's like when somebody calls you together and say, can I talk to you about something for a minute? And they do the sandwich system, you know, where they say something good, then they say what they want to say as a correction, then they say something good. If you're honest, the good goes out the window. All you're remembering is the bad that they've said about you. That's what the disciples are feeling like right now. And this is a serious time. This is a somber time. This is a time to keep your mouth shut and listen to Jesus. And right there in the midst of the gathering, as Jesus is talking about his own death, Peter steps forward. And it says he took Jesus aside. So the disciples are over here gathered just a little, but he takes Jesus aside. And it says he begins to rebuke him. He says, uh, Lord, can you come over here for just a minute? Um, Listen, Lord, allow me to just share something with you for a second. Lord, I know that hard things happen in life, but if you're going to be a good preacher, you've got to be more positive. Negative messages just don't go over with people anymore. You can't be so negative because then people get scared. Lord, my homeboys over here are getting scared. Now, I'm not scared because I'm the rock and everything, so I'm okay with it. But they're getting scared. And you don't want to scare the boys. So God, you've got to be a little bit more positive about this. A little bit gentler about the whole thing. In fact, can I just share with you three points on how to make a good sermon? That, that's basically what Peter did. He rebuked, he said, you shouldn't talk that way. Far be it from me that that will ever happen to you. And again, the other guys are just standing off just a little ways away. They, they're, they're probably listening in on this. They hear everything. 
and they hear Jesus say, probably authoritatively, because I think that's the way you speak to the enemy, he said, get behind me, Satan. What do you think Peter was feeling? Here he goes from the pinnacle of thou art the Christ to get behind me, Satan. Have you ever blown it big time? I mean big time. I'm not talking about, you know, where you stuck your foot in it for a minute, but I mean you blew it big time. Maybe not just with your words, maybe with your actions, your behavior, your attitudes. Maybe it was even a big sin. You blew it so much so that you didn't know if you would ever, ever make it again. I can remember as a freshman at Elam, I had finished my freshman year. I was in between my freshman and my junior year. I did something wrong that involved the law. It, it's bad. And I can remember, I just, I went into seclusion. I was so ashamed, so embarrassed that I could have ever have done this. It was terrible. And I can remember avoiding everybody. I, I worked on the thruway at the time, and people would even drive through. People from Elam would drive through, and I would see them, and I would usually come out to make sure I waited on them. See, I avoided them. I'd see somebody that I knew. I'd make sure somebody else went out and waited on them. But I can still remember when a friend of mine called, uh, my roommate, Donnie Brown, and he called and said, you know, what in the world's going on? You're not talking to anybody, and you're not signed up to come back to Elam. I said, I'm not going back to Elam. He said, why not? I said, it doesn't matter. I can't tell you about it. I'm not going back. He pressed, and he pressed, and he pressed. He said, I'm not going to let up on this. You need to tell me. So I finally told him what I'd done. And he says, have you repented? Yeah. Have you asked God for forgiveness? Yeah. Is God a liar? course not. Well, then what's the Bible say? I don't know and I don't care. The Bible says he's faithful to forgive you. If you're forgiven, why are you disqualifying yourself? Why are you running away? Why are you hiding? Now, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like that. And the end result was I went back to Elam. And I might add that was a good choice because it was at the end of that year that I began to date my wife. So that was a good choice on my part. Um, but you know what it's like to blow it. Be honest. Have you ever blown it so bad that you wish the earth could swallow you up? You wish you could hide somewhere forever? Because this is bad. This isn't, this isn't like normal bad. This is really bad. Have you ever blown it so badly that you know that what you've done is going to hurt other people deeply? So it's not any longer just about you but you've blown it in a way that has hurt others. And everything in you just wants to die. That's what Peter was feeling. He didn't just blow it. We all blow it. He blew it big time. The disciples, I think, this is just my impression, I know I'm reading into it, but I think they're normal. When you're in a meeting with a bunch of people and you see two people over here whispering kind of quietly, what, what goes on inside of you? Don't you kind of move just a little bit closer to try to figure out what's going on over there, to hear it, to listen in a little bit? I guarantee they were listening in as hard as they could so that when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, I believe they heard it. And Peter's response was, okay, that's it. I'm done. I thought I was doing a good thing. Apparently not. You will never hear me ever say another word. I'm out of here. Now, think about for just a moment what Jesus said to Peter. 
I've been married to Karen Lanneville now for almost 37 years. It'll be 37 years in June, June 14th. Uh, we've been together longer, obviously, dating, courtship, but then married for almost 37 years. In 37 years, you, you guys, some of you have been in this church for as long as I have. I've been here for almost 26 years. It'll be 26 years in September. Um, in my time here, you've seen me do some pretty dumb things. Say some pretty dumb things. I can guarantee you that Karen has heard far worse. I have said some of the dumbest things, and I have done some of the dumbest things, and I have hurt her horrendously. But in our 37 years of me blowing it big time again and again and again, not once or twice, but a thousand times, times a thousand, in those 37 years, she has never once called me Satan. She's probably thought it, but never said it. And yet here's Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now you know and I know that he really wasn't calling Peter Satan, right? He was speaking to the spirit that was influencing Peter's words. But if you're Peter, that's not how you hear it. What you hear is, it's like when you say to somebody, don't do something so dumb. And they say, don't call me dumb. And you say, I wasn't calling you dumb. I said that was dumb. Uh-huh. How does that work for you? Same for Peter. Now, please understand that the reason I can preach this message so well is because I've never, ever had a problem with my mouth. Um, never, ever, ever, ever. Lord, don't strike me yet. Have you ever been in a situation where you said something without thinking, and the second it came out of your mouth, you realized, I don't really know that. Maybe I even think it, but I don't know that. And then you realize, uh-oh, I've just said something, and I don't want to take it back. So you say it again stronger. Because you figure if I say it strongly enough, loud enough, often enough, they're going to think I'm an expert at this. They're going to think I've actually studied up on this. And the whole time you've got your phone down at your lap Googling to see if you're right maybe. I can remember when I was contracting up in Watertown. Uh, I'd never contracted in my life. I'd never done that kind of stuff. But I needed to make a living, so I started doing contracting work. Started with some friends. They taught me how to do some stuff. And then I got out on my own. And I would go to a job site where somebody's looking for a bid, and they would tell me what they want. And I'd say to them, sure, no problem. I, I can do that. Um, when, when do you want me to start? And I can guarantee you, you'll be grateful that you hired me. The truth is I had never done it in my whole life. I'd never seen it done. I didn't know how to do it. But I was scamming them through and through. And then I would run away from that site to somebody who knew way more than me, hoping they could tell me how to do what I just told them I knew how to do. We get ourselves in such trouble again and again. Have you ever been guilty of saying something that's not true in order to make yourself look better? To look smarter? to look stronger than what you really are. I have to tell you, I still find myself doing it. I, I'm not young anymore. 
And I'm thinking, God, I'm getting old pretty quickly. Older, at least. I need you to help me with this. I find myself still saying something, and I'll think, Chris, what's wrong with you? Why did you just say that? That's not right. And what you'll find, and many of you might have noticed it, is over these years I find myself correcting myself more and more and more because I want to live as uprightly before God with my mouth as I possibly can. James says that if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole man. But I have to tell you, nor do I want to live my whole life just making sure I measure every single word to make sure it is perfect as if my righteousness is being measured by my own perfection. I want to trust that Jesus Christ who paid the price of His blood for my soul is the one who causes me to be perfect before the Father. But I still want God to help me with my life and with my tongue. I want God to get at the root of the problem, not just the fruit of the problem. I want God not just to deal with the fact that sometimes I say things that are not accurate in order to look smarter or better or more holy. I want God to get at what's inside of me to make me want to look that way. Why do I want to appear away? I want to be that way, not just to appear that way. I find that my behavior, my words, my attitudes can get me in trouble so many times, and I suspect the same is true for you. I fail at this all the time. Um, I was listening to a preacher that I enjoy recently, and he gave this as an example, and I laughed at the time, but I found myself doing it on this trip to China. Um, have you ever... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Have you ever had someone tell you something like, have a good day? And your response is, you too. You've done that, right? Okay. Have you ever used those two words, you too, in the wrong scenario? Your waitress brings you your food and says, enjoy your meal. You too. Next time you eat, if you ever eat again, you too. But that wasn't my issue. That wasn't my issue. My issue is this. We get on the plane. The flight attendant says, have a nice flight. She's back at the ticket counter. She's not flying. Have a nice flight. And what are the words coming out of my mouth? You too. I hope you ever get a chance to fly and that you will enjoy it as much as I'm going to enjoy this. You too. I'm a preacher, and I can't even get the U2 right. We all do it again and again. My point is this. We all have what I call the Peter problem. It's not just our mouth. It's our life. It's our behavior. It's our attitudes. We pretend to know things so that we're smarter than what we really are. But it's not always just our mouth. Sometimes it's what we do. Remember, with Peter, it wasn't just his mouth. Sometimes it's that whole sword and ear debacle. Sometimes that'll get you in trouble too. Sometimes our failure can seem so fatal that we want to give up. Now, I'm going to end here today. I want to carry on next week and give you some hope. But I'm going to end there today with no hope. <laughs> Except this. This is a quote that uh, my wife sent me that I really enjoyed. Uh, I think it's a great quote. It's from Winston Churchill. Success is not final. And I think about Peter saying, Thou art the Christ. Success is not final. 
And failure is not fatal. It's the courage to go on that counts. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to go on that counts. That's what God calls us to. Would you stand with me? If you want to hear the rest of this, and it does get better, come next time. And hopefully you will hear it. Um, before I pray, I want to remind you that we're going to have a fellowship dinner. We want you all to stay. You're all welcome. When you sit down at tables, sit with somebody. Don't just talk about yourself. Ask questions about them. Find out about them. Sit together with somebody maybe you don't normally sit with and find out something new about them. Make it a fun time, an enjoyable time. And remember, let, let me ask you this way. How many of you ate yesterday? Can I see your hands? How many of you ate yesterday? Okay. That means you're not starving to death. You're not. You might think you are, but you're not. Which means when you get your food, take a little bit, a little bit, because that means when everybody's done, there will be enough left over to go back up for seconds and you can have more. But when you pile your plate up like you've never eaten before and it falls on the floor as you're walking to the table, that's not a good thing. That's a Peter problem. And we don't want the Peter problem today. And when you get over there, listen up for the deacons because they're going to give you instructions because, again, we're going to do it differently today than what we have been, all right? So listen quickly for the deacons, which means you have to get over there pretty quickly, all right? All right, bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and for time together as family, as friends, as your body. Lord, I recognize that uh, this is only a part of that word that I believe you've given me. And I pray, God, that even that which has been shared would have some connection with each life here that would cause them to want to be able to hear the rest to know where is our hope in this? What, what's the resolve? What's the conclusion of the whole matter? So, Lord, I'm praying that you would cause us to have our eyes and ears attuned to even this week what you might say to us in regards to this and that we would be very mindful that the Spirit of God is able to do all things. There is nothing that is impossible with God. So we look to you for it and pray, God, that in our fellowship time over this meal, you would bless it and that we would be an encouragement and a blessing to one another. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's go next door. <clears throat>